you have a copy of Scripture, I ask that you would turn to the ninth chapter of Ecclesiastes. Um, we'll be flipping throughout the book as we have been looking at it with the themes that the preacher is speaking of. Um, I am thankful for the opportunity to preach this morning. Um, we are continuing to pray for Pastor Jimmy and Miss Janice um, as they are recovering. Um, his, his longing is to be with us today. I was joking with Adam yesterday that I was quite certain that there is no one who wanted to be with us yesterday worse than Jimmy Suggs wanted to be with us yesterday. And I'm willing to wager the same to be true this morning. Um, he is probably fit to be tied and um, eager to be here as I know he is. And we long for him to be with us. So I'm um, continuing to pray for him and Miss Janice as they continue to heal. So when I uh, realized Pastor Jimmy would not be here this week, um, and speaking with him with where it was going next in Ecclesiastes, he said, and he alluded to it last week, we're looking at what the, the preacher, Koheleth, has to say about death. Death is one of those things that's all around us. We're, we're constantly reminded of it in some way, shape, or form. I doubt a week, no, not a month goes by that we don't hear of somebody we know or someone who is close to us, has someone that they know who has completed their days on earth. And recently, it seems to be even ever more so before us. Between the last year and a half of the constant reminder of COVID numbers and the fear and the reminder of death that that is induced in us, to even more recently, the constant reports we're seeing out of Afghanistan with whether that be the death of soldiers or the death of Afghani nationals or the fear of deaths that that may lead to. We see death constantly before us. And yet, even though it's something that is constantly before us and is constantly all around us and something that we cannot avoid, it doesn't keep us from trying, does it? If there's ever a conversation and a topic that we try to avoid and don't want to talk about and don't want to think about and try not to think about, it is the topic of death. No one wants to be the one who goes to the dinner party and says, hey, what do y'all think about dying? Like, we, you don't want to be, not all of us want to be that guy. It's not something we want to talk about. Either because it makes the conversation awkward, or I would press us, if we're honest, it's because we don't want to think about the reality that we will die. And yet, death is around us. Death is unavoidable. In chapter 3, verse 2 of Ecclesiastes, we saw it last week. There's a time to be born and a time to die. Death is coming. We cannot avoid it. The question is, are we viewing it rightly? What are our thoughts about death? Better yet, what are our thoughts about how death affects how we live now? Because if we, do, if we view death wrongly, it not only affects our view in thinking about death, it affects our view and our thinking about how we live right now. 
And the preacher is going to reveal some of that. As we look today at what the preacher says about death, he's revealing to us how a myopic view of life and death will lead to a despairing view of life. He's showing us the vanity of living for this life and this life alone. For seeking ultimate satisfaction in the things that are under the sun. And if that is where our hope is, and that is the hope and the value and the purpose of our life is merely under the sun, then as we're going to see, death will lead us to despair and frustration and vexation, as the preacher says. But hopefully in this, we will press our eyes um, to see that there is actually hope in death. And death is not the end. And death does not make a despair and frustration and vexation of all that we face in this life. But rather, the hope that we have after death gives meaning and value and purpose to everything we face and do and experience and live out in this life under the sun. We have Ecclesiastes um, chapter 9 will be our kind of text that we will read and begin from this morning. We'll read verses 1 through 6 together. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean. To him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of children or man are full of evil. And the madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word and your goodness in giving it to us. Father, I pray that today as we look at the words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes, that you will open our eyes to see the vanity of a life lived for this life alone. To help us see the hope that we have for those who are in Christ Jesus, for a life awaiting us after we die. And that in that would give us a joy and a hope in the midst of our lives lived now. It's through the blood of Christ and the power of the Spirit that we pray these things. Amen. Again, as we look summarily at what the, the preacher, Koheleth, is saying about death in Ecclesiastes. It's tied in with all the other things we've already seen. It's speaking of wisdom, it's speaking of, of work, it's speaking of justice. 
And we're going to see um, some, how the view of death and how viewing death wrongly can affect how we view wisdom and work and righteousness and these kind of things. But before we do that, uh, we need to look at chapter 9 at what we just read and understand an overlying truth of death that we know that, again, I think we often live as if we don't know. And that is this. Death is a reality that no one can escape. There's nothing you have in this life. There's nothing you can accomplish in this life. There's nothing you can pay in this life. There's nothing you can do in this life that will somehow make you avoid death. Pending the return of Christ and Him calling us up to where He is, you will die. Look at what he says in chapter 9, verse 2. It's the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is he who shuns an oath. This is the evil that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. The event he's speaking of here, as we see, is death. Death is the thing that we are all going to face. Righteous or wicked, good or evil, death is coming to us. What's the old adage? Two things in life that are certain. Death and taxes. One of them you might can avoid. The other one you will not. Death is certain for all of us. As one commentator wrote, Ecclesiastes urges the reader to recognize that they are mortal. And indeed it does. If you read through Ecclesiastes and you see through it a couple of times, there's this, what makes life vanity? It's because we're going to die. What makes all of these things but a vapor? It's because death is coming. This reality, if not viewed rightly, that death is coming for us all, that death is certain for us all, will cause us not just to view death wrongly, but to view life wrongly. The preacher is showing the futility with which we can view life and death when we live life as if the life under the sun is all that there is. And again, I think that's why we often try to avoid the conversation of death. We don't like to be reminded of the reality that death is certain and is coming for all of us. We like to think that it is something that will come some other time down the road and maybe somehow we have a long time to wait until it's there, but we don't know the hour of our death. We don't know the time of our death and so we try to avoid the thoughts of these things. But we can't avoid the reality of it. One of the things that the writer of Ecclesiastes makes clear to us is this. Death is coming. Death is certain. And again, if we view death wrongly and we, we simply look at life as we live life and then we die, that's going to affect the way we live life. It's going to affect the way we view death. It's going to affect how we view the goodness of life and the evil of life and the work of life. So I want us to look at three areas in which um, the preacher here in Ecclesiastes is dealing with the idea of death and how in him seeking to find his satisfaction in these things was led to despair and vanity because he realized he was going to die. Go with me to chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. We're going to look at how um, 
the, the writer, the preacher's view of wisdom was affected through his view of death. There in verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom and the madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. As there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been so very wise? And am I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For the wise, for of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have long been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all his vanity and striving after wind. The preacher here is speaking of trying to find his satisfaction and his fulfillment and his wisdom and, and his wisdom as opposed to his folly. And he saw there's more gain in wisdom than in folly. So he longed after it and he acquired it. And then the reality hit him. I'm going to die just like the fool. I've lived life in wisdom. And to what end? I'm going to die. And not only am I going to die, I'm going to die and I'm going to be forgotten. There'll be no remembrance of the wise man any more than there is the fool. Pastor Jimmy has reminded us that of a couple of weeks as we even try to think back to a couple of generations. What do we remember about them? What do we know about them? outside of the history books and things that are being documented, but for the common person, for even members of our own family, what do we remember? Little to nothing. If you're like me, you go back many generations and you're having to call your mom or your grandma to get their name because you can't even remember that. And the preacher here is saying, I've looked at this wisdom and I've sought after this wisdom and I've acquired this wisdom and to what end? I'm going to die and I'm going to be forgotten. And if we view life, this life as all that there is, then like the preacher, we'll begin to despair. What value is there in wisdom? Why not live like the fool? If death comes to both and both are just forgotten, then what's the point? Is there any value to it? And I'm going to go ahead and throw a disclaimer in here. I probably should have done this before I started. I'm going to leave a lot of these questions hanging until the end. Right? So don't check out on me. Or else you're going to leave here really despairing. So hold with me. Okay? But the preacher here is looking at wisdom. He's looking at the reality of death. His question is, what gain is wisdom now? Why bother with it? We're going to die. And nobody's going to remember us. So if we view death wrongly, and we view life wrongly, then we'll view the striving after wisdom wrongly. And again, I think we see the fruit of that even in our day. 
We're going to see the fruit of all of this in our day. Engulfed by people who think that this life is the end of it. We just morphed into somehow people and we're going to die and we'll go back into the ground like an animal. Even the, 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 the preacher speaks of that, that we're just like the beast and we just die like they do. So then we get foolish expressions and slogans that people live by like YOLO. You only live once and we go through life as if wisdom is nothing. Let's live life as foolish and vicariously as we can because after all we just die. But is that all there is? Is wisdom no more benefit than just what it can get me here? Is death really going to be the end of it? We just die and we go into the ground and we've forgotten. So if we view life wrongly, we do view death wrongly, we'll view wisdom wrongly. But not only wisdom, we'll view work wrongly. Continue with me in chapter 2. Go to verse 18. And I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he shall be master of all for which I toiled, and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill, must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and great evil. What is a man from all his toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work of vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. So the preacher goes from... I'm looking to wisdom to satisfy me. Then I realize I'm just going to die. So what's the point in wisdom? Now he goes to his toil, his work. And he comes to the same realization. This time maybe even more despairing. Because I've worked and I've acquired all of this stuff. I've worked to this end and I've, I've earned these things and I've acquired these things and I've worked that I can have these things. And to what end? I'm going to die and someone who may very well be a fool is going to waste it. I'm going to work and I'm going to strive and I'm going to sweat and labor for all of these things to die. And then he gives his heart up to despair over his work and his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation to him because in his thinking in this, and I think he is arguing somewhat hyperbolically here to show the vanity of this type of thinking. What's the value in work? What's the value in toil? What's the value in these things if all I'm going to do is die and somebody else is going to get to foolishly waste it? Then go to chapter 5, verse 13. He continues this thought of work. Or at least our possessions that we require through our work. So there's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there for him who toils for the wind? 
Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and in much vexation and sickness and anger. So not only is somebody going to waste it, I'm working for all this stuff and I'm going to die and I'm going to go into the grave just like I came out of my mother's womb with nothing. And all I've worked for and all I've strived for is going to be here and who knows whether the person who gets it and uses it is going to be wise or foolish with it. Why am I even striving? Why am I even working? Why are we even sweating in this toil of this labor if all we're going to do is die and it's it's nothing to us anymore. When this life is what we're living for and our work is simply to amass wealth and a name for ourselves, then death makes all of this seem like vanity. Our work is merely drudgery and despair. And again, we can see the fruit of this type of thinking. And the idea of work is almost profanity to some in our culture. Because what's the point? Why are we working? Why do we need to sweat and labor? Why not just sit around and enjoy the the fullness of the joy of life and be lazy, foolish people who sit around and just live as if this life is it? Because after all, we just die. We don't get to take it with us. So what's the point? And then again, we see his, his view of wisdom, his view of work, but now his view of righteousness is affected by how we view life and death. Go to chapter 7, verse 15. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes and is righteous, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life and his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this. And and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out of them or come out from both of them. Here the the preacher is speaking of one who is in his righteousness and he, he dies in his righteousness. And yet there's the, the wicked who seems to prolong his days and avoid death by his wickedness. We even, if you go to chapter 8, we see a, a further example of that. Chapter 8 and verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does a hundred evil times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will He prolong His days like a shadow because He does not fear before God. Here the preacher is looking at this idea of the righteous and death is coming upon them. And in this instance, and and we see the same in Psalm 73, that's come to my mind multiple times as I was thinking through this. If you go to Psalm 73, the psalmist there is perplexed over the same reality. It seems that those who are righteous, it seems that death comes to them, but yet those who are living wickedly and evil, it seems somehow they prolong their days by their evil. 
even prolong their days. By their evil and out of their evil, they seem to be able to prolong their days. And in chapter 8, we saw not only is he prolonging his days by his, his evil, but he's parading himself as the righteous. He's going in and out of the holy place and the people are praising him for it, yet he's living a life of evil. And then in verse 11 of chapter 8, it says, Because the sentence against evil is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. When we look at this reality of death coming to the righteous and the wicked, and at times seeming to come to the righteous, and yet avoiding the wicked at times, even in spite of their wickedness, it seems as if, the, as the, the, the preacher here says, the sentence against evil is not executed speedily. So we can begin to look at life and say, why, why am I even living to this righteous end? I'm striving after righteousness. I'm striving to live according to the commands of God. I'm striving to live a moral life. And yet, all it seems to bring me is trouble when death is coming anyway. And these people who seem to be completely ignoring the things of righteousness seem to be prolonging their days. Why hasn't death come to them? So what's the point of living in righteousness? Or reverse that. I've been living my life in wickedness. I've been living my life in rebellion. I may have even played the part of the righteous when I've gone into the holy place. I, I go to church. I tend to, to do the outward things. But yet my heart is bent toward evil. And God hasn't struck me dead yet. So maybe it's all okay. And we think that somehow the delayed sentence of, of evil, as the writer says here, means somehow that it's been overlooked or avoided. And so what does the heart of man do? It sets itself to do evil. And again, we fight this. We face this reality. And again, we see the fruit of it in our culture. People think that they go on shaking their fist at God. The farther it seems to go, the more we see Romans 1 played out before our very eyes. And yet the people around us think that because calamity hasn't struck them and death hasn't come and a lightning bolt hasn't struck them from heaven, that clearly everything's okay. So let's just go on living in this wicked rebellion and unrighteousness because what does it matter? And we begin to, to maybe become despairing of living in righteousness. What's the point? We're going to die and they're going to die. And if we live life as if this life is it and death is the end of it, and then we just go back into the ground and that's all there is, then what is the point? Which is why if we have a wrong perspective of death and we have a wrong perspective of life, we will view all that is in life wrongly. But if we have a right perspective and we view death rightly and we view life rightly, we will not grow despairing in the midst of our wisdom, in the midst of our work, and in the midst of our righteousness. Because we know that we're not living life as merely one living under the sun. But if you have a right perspective, we will lift our eyes above the sun to know that there is a hope, a transcendence even beyond death that gives value and meaning and purpose to what we do. Go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I don't want to 
preach this necessarily. Pastor Jimmy, um, if the Lord wills, will be back with us next Sunday and we'll, we'll tie up our time in Ecclesiastes. But I do want to show where the, the, the narrator coming out of the preaching of the preacher ends it. Because again, I do think there's a sense in which the preacher is speaking hyperbolically here and showing the futility of his own life, striving to live and amass for himself a name and in a sense an immortality under the sun and showing the despair and vanity of that. Then at the end of the, the letter, we see this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. And with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So the writer, the narrator, points us back to this reality. That we're going to, to help us see the right perspective and how to view things. It says, To fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. What keeps us from saying it's vanity to walk in wisdom and it's vanity to live a life that works and it's vanity to live a life in righteousness? What keeps us from, from saying death just makes all of that vain? Because we know this reality. God will bring every deed into judgment. So let's think back through these. And see how the reality of a, of a triune God who sits in the heaven, the reality that we will die and stand before Him, the reality that in Christ there is a hope of a life that transcends after our days on this earth under the sun, how that keeps us from looking at the things of this world and saying vanity is vanity and growing in despair in our wisdom and our righteousness and our work. First, let's look at the idea of wisdom and righteousness. How does looking at this reality that there is a God and we should keep His commands and He will bring every deed into judgment, how does that keep us from going into despair of our wisdom and righteousness and thinking we would be just as well to walk in foolishness and evil? The first reality is this. We'll give an account. We don't just merely die and go back into the ground. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. We even read it in our um, confession earlier. There's a point in man wants to die and then comes judgment. It's not just a point in man wants to die. It's a point in man wants to die and then comes judgment. What makes us look at righteousness and wisdom as if it's just vanity, if it's Death just makes it all void is if we don't understand that when we die, we will stand before the creator of all and give an account for every word, every thought, and every deed. And if we understand that reality, then wisdom and righteousness no longer become vanity. Romans 14 points us to the same truth. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. While it may seem that those living unrighteously are getting away with it because the sentence of evil is not executed speedily, as the preacher said, we see in the Scriptures that we will give an account for our life. The sentence may be delayed, but it will not be passed over. Death will come, and then will come judgment. 
And while at times it may seem that living righteously has no merit in this life, we're not living merely for this life. As Martin Luther said, I have two days marked on my calendar. This day and that day. That day being the day Christ returns. And we live with that day in mind. Knowing that on that day, we will give an account. So our wisdom and our righteousness are not vanity because of death, but rather they have meaning and purpose and we should strive for them because we seek to live to the glory of God. We know we will give an account before Him. And ultimately we know the only thing that will save us on that day is the righteousness of, of Christ. And having been made righteous in Him, we, we long to live in this world and in this life under the sun to the glory of the One who has redeemed us because we know that is our ultimate hope That is our ultimate home. And viewing it this way also affects the way we view our work. Again, the the preacher in looking at this looks at work and says, what's the point? I'm going to die and somebody else is going to use it. Somebody else is going to waste it. Can't take it with me. But yet if we view things rightly and we look at things in, in light of Christ and God and the life that we are to live and will live after we die. We see in Colossians chapter 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Our work is not merely for this life and the acquiring of wealth. It is a work to the Lord with eternity in mind. For those who view life rightly and view death rightly, our work is not merely the sweat of our brow we do just to try to put food on the table in this vanity of toil that we're going to die and we're going to have to leave all this stuff around. For those who view God rightly and life rightly, the primary purpose of my work is is not to get paid. And it's not to put food on the table. And it's not to provide for my family. Yes, those are good. And yes, I should do them. But the primary reason I should get myself out of bed in the morning and go and do my work and do it well, even when I don't want to, is because I'm doing my work unto the Lord, not unto man. I'm doing my work because... I serve the king who sits on the throne. I I do my work because I will stand that day before him and give an account of how I've stewarded my time, my talents, and the things he has given me. Our work doesn't have value because of what it merely gives us here. Our work has value because of the one who has given it to us. And also we see if we view it rightly that we have a hope because we know that death is not the end of all of these things. First Corinthians 15, again, we even noted that earlier in our assurance of pardon. Looking at another section of first Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, By a man comes also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. 
Christ the first fruits. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every ruler and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. And all things are subjected to him. The Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Here's our hope. What gives meaning and and value and dignity and worth and keeps us from looking at life as if it's despair and vexation and vanity? When we think of our wisdom and our righteousness and our work and our lives... Because we know Christ has defeated death and death is not the end for us. Death is not the end for us. And if death is not the end, then let us not live life and view our righteousness and view our wisdom and view our work and view the things we go about in our day. Let's not view our life as if it is. So for those of you who are living as if this life is all that there is. You're living as if it's, let's just see what we can get right now. Live my life to the fullest. Because what does it matter? One day we're going to die and they're going to put me in the ground. And at least I can say I enjoyed every bit of it that I could. See the foolishness of that kind of thinking that's revealed by the preacher. That is a life of vanity and despair. If you are like the preacher in this book, striving after the world to satisfy you, make a name for yourself, then you're striving after the wind. For death will come and you will be forgotten. And then comes judgment. Don't live as if this world is the end for us. Live not for this life. Store up for yourselves not treasures and a name for yourself here on this earth where moth and rust destroy. Live for God. Follow Christ. For those who are in despair at the reality of death that makes life seem meaningless, I hope that today has allowed us to lift our eyes beyond this world to see the hope that is even in death that is in Christ. What leads to us to despair of death? What leads to us to despair of this world and life? Because we lose sight of the reality of God and the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. For those who are caught in their own vanity of striving after the wind, lift your eyes over the sun and see the reality that this life is not all that there is. Death is coming. You cannot avoid it. We started with that statement and we'll end with that statement. Death is coming. You cannot avoid it. But death is not the end. For those who have ignored God, rejected Christ, 
and lived a life in this world for themselves and their own vanity. Death is not the end for you. It's appointed to man once to die and then comes judgment. You will face the Lord on that day and give an account for your deeds. And apart from Christ, there is judgment and wrath for an eternity in our rebellion against God and living life to the glory of our own name as if we are it. And for those who are in Christ, death is not it for you. See the value and the joy and the beauty that is in this life and in wisdom and in righteousness and in work. Because we see there's a God in heaven who has redeemed us. Don't be those who say there is a God and a life after and a hope in Christ. And yet let the despair and the vanity and the toil of this world overtake you as if it's not true. Lift your eyes to Christ. See the hope we have in life. See the hope we have in death. And see the one that gives value and dignity and beauty to all that is in this life. That death cannot take away. Father in heaven. We are uncomfortable with the reality of death, uncomfortable with the reality of talking about death. Father, I pray you would keep us from avoiding it. For in it we see the reality of our sin. In it we see the reality of your judgment of our sin. In it we see our great need of Christ who has defeated death and removed the fear of death from us who are in Him. And for those who are in Christ, ultimately in death, we see the great hope because we know that death means life to us. For we will be with you. And death cannot separate us from that. Father, forgive us for the ways we have lived as if death is at the end for us. Forgive us for the ways we have lived to our own glory and to our own end. And in that, been drawn into despair because we think life is meaningless because we have lived as if this is it. Father, remind us, those of us who are in Christ, remind us of the hope we have in Christ. And Father, for those who are not in Christ, would you show them the reality that this life is not it for them either? Would you convict them of their sin to show them the vanity of living for themselves? Draw them to Christ to be saved. It's in his name that we pray.